All right, here we go. Today's daf is daf pei ches, page eighty-eight in Hilgim Sechus We're in the middle of but we're on the bottom of pei zayin on a base. All right, we're going to pick up on pei zayin on a base with my segula. Four lines from the bottom of pei zayin on a base. Here we go today. So here we go. My segula. So one of the things that the Bryces earlier on mentioned is that if somebody hurts their own child, does your child's another Jew like anybody else? And therefore, one Brysa had said that you owe money to your child. How do you pay your child? They're young. So you set up a trust. What if you hurt somebody else's child? Also, you set up a trust. You can't just give them money because this kid doesn't know how to handle money. You can't pay the parents. It's not the parents' money. So what do you do? You set up a trust. What does that mean? That's what we're going to ask how. Says the Gemara, listen to this, Chavra. My Segula, what does it mean you set up a trust? What do you do... To ensure that this kid has access to the money but doesn't ruin it. Rav Chisra says, you know what you do? You buy him a Sefer Torah. You take the money, buy a Sefer Torah. You know why? Sefer, Sefer Torah is like real estate. It doesn't go down in value. It's secure. And the kid could use it already. That's a big uh, Okay. Fine. So you do part of it. Do it on a scroll. Rabba, so you do a chumash, whatever it is, right? But it's something that has value and has use. Rabba Baravuna Amar Dikla Tamri. He says, you buy a palm tree. Apparently, the Rishayim say a palm tree was something that was considered like uh, the word slipping. You know, I got Yale right in front of me to help me out. The, uh, st- uh, mutual funds, right? It's like a safe fund, stay basic, a commodity. Right? A palm tree was something that's it's basic, everybody needs it always, and the kid could eat dates from it already now. Okay? So that, that's a trust fund. You know, what's a trust fund? Does it have to be the grace of something, the greatest investment? No. Something that's safe, but productive. Earlier we had a conversation. If somebody wounds the child, a, a daughter of a person, so we had a question earlier that the same way a father has rights to marry off his daughter and take the money in marriage, does he get the rights if she gets injured? So uh, Reish Lakish says the father does not get money if she gets injured. The father only gets money in marriage, but not, not if she gets injured. But his brother-in-law and Makariv, Rabbi Yechanan says, no, even if a, a, a girl gets injured, the father Gets that money. Says Gemara, "Petzia sogadaytach." You think he gets the the money for the injury? Afilu Rebbe Lazar, like him, he boyle yalechavola. Even Rebbe Lazar, who says that the father gets it, that's when it's like severe because now she can't work at all. That Pascha mikaspa, her value went, of marriage went down. Avol petzia dvoy a Pascha mikaspa, like him, he boyle. There's no question. So Gemara explains. Amar v'esi brachanina shapatsa b'fanel v'apachta b'kaspa. The case was where he heard her in her uh, uh, something public. B'fanel means her her penim, her face. Interestingly, the word panim inside is the same word as, as panim. The face you know, allows a person, you can see inside a person, and she goes down in value, and that's why Rabbi Echelon is going to hold that you get, the, you get the money of her injury. Again, because the father usually gets money in marriage. How much money is that? Depends on how much a person is willing to pay. If she's a valuable young lady, she brings a lot to the table. So then the, the father's going to get more money. Now that she has a public injury, something that's noticeable, so the value of marriage went down. And Shabbat says the father has 
uh, has access to that money as well. Now, according to this approach, what if she would have an injury that's not noticed? Right? What if she has an injury on her chest? We're saying that normally... If it's an undercover wound that's not going to impact her injury, uh, her, her shidduch opportunities, then the father wouldn't get the money. Here we go. Two dots, four lines from the top of today's daf, daf peiches. The Mishnah said, If a person damages somebody else's ever kenani, so you have to pay all five damages. Nezek, Tsar, Ripoy, Sheves, Baishas. Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yehuda said there's no embarrassment, but he agrees you have to pay for the other four. So Machoikas, whether you pay four type for four parts of the damage or five. My time to review the what's the reason for Rabbi Yehuda that if you damage somebody else's Ever Kanani, you have to make all payments except for embarrassment. What's the logic to that? Why why wouldn't you pay Devakani for embarrassment? Khabra, listen, this is incredible. Omar Krat says in the Pasuk, you know when you pay for embarrassment, ki Man, a man and his brother are fighting. That's the Pusik that tells us you pay for embarrassment. When a man and his brother are fighting. You know you pay for embarrassment? When there's achva. When there's brotherhood. You know when there's brotherhood? When there's brothers. Real brothers. Blood brothers. Yiddish brothers. And Ebekanani. Doesn't marry into Klal Yisrael. There's no real brotherhood within Ever Kanani, even though you we're gonna see soon, even though he does keep some mitzvahs as an Ever Kanani, but there's no achva. Only when there's achva you pay for embarrassment. For Rabbana and Achivu Bemitzvah, the Rabbana say, no, he's still considered a brother because we know an Ever Kanani is obligated in mitzvahs like a woman while he's in Ever Kanani, and since he's similar to you in some mitzvahs, that's enough to allow him to receive the payment of embarrassment as well. He's obligated to miss like a woman? Correct. Not Correct. Once you're an Evakanani, you're obligated in all mitzvahs, except, unless they're time-bound mitzvahs, I say. Once he gets freed, he's automatically a yid and responsible in all mitzvahs. Says the Gemara, but now, according to Rabbi Yehuda, again, Rabbi Yehuda says... This Ebekanani is not called a brother. If you have Adam Zomimen who testify about an Ebekanani that he's high of Misa, they shouldn't get killed. You only do to them what they tried doing to their brother. And you just told me that an Ebekanani is not your brother. But we know that's not true. We know that an Adam Zomimen come and they testify against an Ebekanani that he's high of Misa and they're proven to be Zomimen. We do kill them. I, what do you mean? You just told me they're not brothers. Really? You were not brothers. But there's a separate verse telling us that under these circumstances, by an Eid Zaymim, you get rid of these Eid Zaymim through thick and thin, tooth and nail, as they say, which means even if the guy's not your brother, you get rid of them. Says Gemara, okay, let's challenge this again. Okay, what are we challenging? That we said that an Ebekanani is not a brother, right? But now the Rabbanon, according to the Rabbanon, who say you are a brother, Ebed Yehi Kashul Lemalchus, an Ebekanani is, not a, is, is never, a, somebody starts out as an Ebekanani and then becomes Jewish, cannot become a, a king in Klal Yisrael. Why? Because the Pasuk says, you have to appoint, some Tosim Melech Mi Kerev Checha, from amongst your brothers. 
and he, he's not a brother. So an Ebekanani can't be a brother. Says Gemara, but according to the Rabbanon, that an, an Ebekanani is called a brother, why shouldn't, let's allow an Ebekanani to be a king? Ami, they said, no. You're going to say that by a case of a ger, that's going to be according to uh, everybody. Everybody agrees that a ger is a total Jew, right? Are you allowed to marry a convert? Absolutely, unless, unless you're a kayan. All of us are here, right? I don't think we have any kahanim sitting with us here right now. So we um, we're allowed to uh, we're allowed to marry somebody who converts, uh, a woman who converts. We're allowed to marry because, as far as this is concerned, they're called brothers. But when it comes to to uh, appointing a king, it says from the middle of your brothers. What does it mean to be in the middle? You know what the best is. When you're amongst everybody else. When you're in the midst of Klal Yisrael. Not that you're standing, not that you, not to knock anything, but not when you're standing in front leading. Not when you're getting all the covered. Not when you're standing in back with your coat on because you want to be different. And, and there's both. There's both. Yeah? The guys who stand in the back and, and have one foot in the door, one foot out the door, are not in the midst of Klal Yisrael either. You know, I have, I have times like that too. Like you're not comfortable being amongst the island. Some chaver, like you, you come to chap a minion, when you want to catch a minion, you never really showed up to shul. You ran in, you took three steps back, three steps forward, you got your tefillah in, and I get in tug, and I'm, and I'm out of here. I chap my, my mincha. You never came in. You never, you, ne- you never wore mekarev achecha. You never came in. You know when you could be a malach? You know when you're elevated? You know when you're a leader of Klal Yisrael? When you're somebody who's comfortable being amongst your brothers, not an outlier. And this is something which is not, sometimes it comes from a beautiful mida that people make a terrible mistake. People are bashful and people say, you know what, I don't want to take a spot, huh? Modest. 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 So what happens? You can have a shal shudis, you can have a kiddush and shul, and you have the guys, they're always like off to the side. They, they can't sit with the ilum. You can't sit with the ilum. Something so chosh of a sitting with the ilum. Sit with the ilum. Don't separate yourself. You're allowed to be modest. You're allowed to be off to the side. But why? What do you got? You're, you're a, we become malachim. We become kings. And we're, we're right to be, to be elevated. When we're When you're amongst, that means you're the best. You're the best. The best yidin are the ones that hang out with other yidin. And, and uh, somebody who comes from Gerim, Kind of they, they come in as outliers. They come in they come in from the outside, and this includes an Kanani, Therefore, they can't be included. Uh, they can't be appointed as a melech. But now the Rabbana according to Rabbana again. Let's remind ourselves. Rabbi Yehuda holds that that an Kanani is not a brother. The Rabbana say an Kanani is a brother. So here we go. The Rabbana according to the Rabbana that you're a brother. Let's allow an Ebekanani to even testify in a court. When you allow to testify, when, you, uh, when you're testifying against a brother. So if he's called a brother, let him testify in court. That's not, that's not a possible. That's not, that's not possible. You cannot say that an, an Ebekanani is able to give testimony. Because we have logic dictating he cannot be a witness. Learned that from a woman. Just like a woman who's a full-fledged Jew, she can marry whoever she wants. There's no limitations on a kayan, non-kayan, whatever it is. We don't accept 
her testimony in court, because it says in when two men stand in court, uh, which excludes a woman, Ever so was in Ever Kanani, who can't marry whoever he wants. How much more so cannot give testimony? Says the Gemara, one second. One second. You're right, a woman is disqualified. And you want to learn out in Ever from that. But there's a lot of other times where women are not disqualified and an Evid is qualified, or vice versa. For example, says the Gemara, Well, a woman doesn't have a bris mila. An Evid Kanani has a bris mila, so maybe he's better than a woman, and we should accept him in court. Says the Gemara, A minor will prove, because you accept the testimony of a minor? No. I. what if he shows us he has a bris mila? Still no. Still can't testify just because you have a bris mila. So just because you have a bris mila doesn't make you fit to give testimony. Says the Gemara, yeah, but Malakotan, you're right, but a minor has bris mila, but has no obligation to mitzvah. She ain't been mitzvah. Tell me but an Evid has a bris mila and has mitzvah. Shehubah mitzvah. Yeah, now he's, he's, he's obligated to mitzvah. But a woman will come back at that and say that just because you're obligated to mitzvah doesn't make you fit to testify. She has a mitzvah. And the common denominators go back and forth. Minors and women and Eber Kenanim are all different. So what do you got to do if you want to learn something out? You find common denominators. And here we go. What's the common denominator between a woman and a, an Isha and a cotton? A woman and a cotton. Does a woman have to keep all mitzvahs? Yes. No. no. Does a cotton have to keep all mitzvahs? No. Upsula lehayid. And they're not allowed to testify in court. So too, I bring, and I, should, I shouldn't say so broad, they can't testify in court. Financial matters, right? Specifically financial, other matters too. But let's just call it what we're dealing with right here. That that she can't always testify in court. We're not going to allow him to testify. Very nice, you have a common denominator. You know, saying that, well, a woman is not always accepted, that's fine. A cotton is not always accepted, that's fine. But this Eved also shouldn't be allowed. One second. Is a woman a man? No. No. Difficult answer? No. Is a woman a man? No. Is a, is a cotton a man? No. Is an Eved Kanani a man? Yeah. So says the Gemara, tell me about Shuish. He's a man. He's a man. So maybe he should be allowed to testify in court. Ella, Tasi Migazla. And says the Gemara, you're right. So we can't learn out that the, the, the fact that an Evid is disqualified from testifying is not learned out from a woman at a cotton. Because he's a man. So how do we know that Evid cannot testify? We learn out from a goslin, From a robber. A robber is an adult. A robber is even Jewish. A robber is a male. And we do not accept his testimony. Now could he marry a regular Jew? Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not on the... Uh, uh, pro- prohibition list just because somebody has uh, somebody has stolen and you could still marry in says okay you want to learn out from a robber that he's not allowed to testify in court but let me tell you something there's a big difference between somebody who earned their status like a goslin right he well, you're not born a robber you make yourself a robber right nobody's born Bad. You you created this. But an Evid Kanani didn't create this for himself. 
he didn't his not, he didn't do anything to make him incapable of being puzzle edus and not being allowed to testify. It's just a matter of his circumstances. The guy was he was born into the land of Canaan and he was made a servant and now he's free. Like what's he got? He didn't do anything wrong. You take says you're right. You know how I know that an Abed Kanani is not allowed to testify? Take the case of a robber who's an adult male and is not allowed to testify. And then take either a minor or a woman, put it together with robber, find the common denominators, and say if a robber can't testify and a woman can't testify, or a robber can't testify and a colon can't testify, an Abed Kanani is not allowed to testify either. Okay, so that would be one mahalach, that would be one path, one approach of why we do not accept an Eved Kanani to testify in court. Mar Breit Ravina, Omar Mar Breit Ravina gives another reason why we do not accept the testimony of an Eved Kanani. Omar Kroh, it says in the Pasuk, Layumsu Avesal Bonim, parents are not put to death because of their children. Layumsu Alpi Avesal Lem Chayim Bonim. We don't put to death the testimony of uh, somebody through the testimony of somebody who doesn't have a halachic relationship to their children. Okay? Now, when it comes to slaves, they don't have a halachic relationship. You know, if some, like when somebody converts to Judaism, they're now like separated halachically from the parents. The parent passes away, there's no obligation in Shiva. Because it's not, uh, you know, halachically apparent. The yomsu api avos, you don't allow somebody to testify. You don't put the death through the testimony of somebody who doesn't have a relationship with their children. These hokadaita, which, by the way, if you want to take this not literal, you want to take it's not literal, is la yomsu api avos she'ein lahem chay, you know, chay is bonim that people don't have a yachas, people don't have a relationship with uh, with their children. It's uh, it's. It's a very, it's a very delicate matter. It's a very delicate matter, and you have to look, you have to look a layer deeper to know where to place trust. People really need to take achrayis and shoulder responsibility to be the adult in the relationship, and to make sure that I'm going to do whatever I can, no matter what my child does, no matter how they act to me, no what, what, what type of chutzpah they bring to the table. I'm going to be like the rabbanu shalom. You know, if I was my own father, I don't know if I'd want to be in a relationship with me either. Right, the, what, what, the, the Rebbein Shalom tells me to do things, and I don't follow along. I got my own, uh, avir, uh, you know, avaris that I do and I've done throughout my life. Maybe the Rebbein Shalom should have kicked me out of the house. Yeah, the Chazal tell us an incredible thing. They say that this is why the Gemara tells us that that La'asid Lavai Yitzchak Avinu is going to be the the of the Av who who uh, allows us to be Zeicher to come back to Eretz Yisrael because he was the only. One of the others that had a wayward son and kept him next to him. It's only one of the others that had to deal with it. He kept Esav next to him. And the Mepharshim the, say this is one of the tricks of Esav. I'm sorry, this is one of the tricks of Yitzchak. Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu kept Esav next to him despite Esav's rishus. So that La'asid love is going to be a time where Kal Yisrael is not behaving in the ways of the Rabban Shem. The Rabban Shem is going to go around to Elvis and say, find a reason for me to take my children back. Look at, look at the terrible state of Kal Yisrael. And Yitzhak Avita is going to say, well, Rabban Shem, look at me. I had a son like this and I held on to him. It's time for you to bring your children home too. And they say this is part of how Yitzhak, this is why he's, he's an ace of trick. Yitzhak no shaykhs. No, Yitzhak knew exactly what Esav was up to. But he also knew that Kal Yisrael is going to need going to need this midah 
In the future, he said, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep, to, 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 to keep Esav next to me. And that's going to be this chos. That's going to be the merit that is going to awaken HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says if I, Hashem, if, I if, if I did this, how much should you be doing this? Okay. We're going to say what we said earlier, which means through the testimony of son. It should say that you don't put fathers to death because their sons testify. Children can't testify about fathers. My bonim. So why does it say sons? We don't put somebody to death through the testimony of somebody who wouldn't have a halachic relationship to their child. And who doesn't have a halachic relationship to their child? This is referring to in Ebed Kenani. says, But now, the Pazit says, that sons also don't die because of their father's... Um, Hachanami, we should say it means like Yumsu Alpi Banim Shein Lehem Chayis Aves. That the same drasha that we don't we, that we don't put the death through the through the testimony of children that are puzzled to te- that are uh, not allowed to testify against against their children. Alager Hachanami the Pasul Eidus. We're going to say that a ger as well is possible from Eidus. We know that's not true. In other words, the Gemara is asking a strong question. If somebody converts to Judaism and walks into Bezdin, they witness the murder. Are we going to accept a convert to testify? Yeah. Sure. Now, does a convert have a, y- a yachas to the father? No. Does a convert have yachas to a son? No. Unless they're born after the conversion. It says, Gemara, your whole logic that you're trying to bring in over here of somebody doesn't have yachas either way is not going to be permitted to testify. What about converts? Converts we do accept in court. Great, strong question. Answer the Gemara. Amri, Hachi Ashto, one second. Uh, we don't like the question. Gary, when it comes to a full-fledged convert, Nihi, granted, there's no relationship to his father forever because you can never be born before you're dead. Right? Make sense? You can never be born before you're dead. Right? No. No? People are born all the time. Before, they before they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. They're dead. Oh, okay. not, not people are born before they're dead. People certainly are born before they're dead. But you can't be born before your father. Otherwise, he ain't your father, right? So, so uh, when it comes to somebody who converts, he certainly has no relationship to his father. No halachic relationship to his father. But does, if you convert, does that mean you certainly have no halachic relationship to your children? No. You can have children that are born after your conversion. Okay? Says the Gemara. A convert does have yichus going down because, again, he could have children and in, in, uh, in, uh, he could have children are related to him. And you should know, even somebody who converts after with their children will call the child by the father's name. And therefore, there's, there's a yachas, there's a relationship there. And there's no, there's no chias, there's no even like a family name. You're just the evet of, of this person. Now ready for a little bit of a marathon of a Gemara with some beautiful lessons over here. If you're going to say that an evet, uh, that, that a ger, that a convert taka cannot testify, the Torah should have written, they should have been put to death through the testimony of their, their sons. So then the Torah should have written, the sons aren't put to death because of the testimony of their father. I learned two alachas. What are the two alachas? First of all, 
of us. Children are not put to death when their fathers testify against them. And the other halacha is, people aren't put to death if, through the testimony of anybody who has no relationship to their father, who is a ger. Again, if that would be the halacha. The Ebed, and I would learn out that the same way a, a convert cannot give testimony, certainly an Ebed Kanani cannot give testimony. Why? When it comes to a convert who has no relationship to his father. There is a relationship to his children. We still don't accept testimony. Again, if theoretically a convert cannot testify. We would have had a Which means that you're allowed to testify as a convert. Only an Evet Kanani cannot testify. Since a Ger has a halachic, or at least a name relationship with his later family with his children, kosher le'edus should be fit for, uh, should be fit for testimony. V'chit him, if you're going to say, the Torah could have written that ch- children are not put to death because of the testimony of their own fathers. Which is going to let us know that children are not put to death through, through the testimony of children who have no relationship with their children. What, what are you going to say about that? The Gemara says, I'll tell you, I did the Kosav la Yumsu Abbas al Banim, Kosav Nami, Banim la Yumsu al Abbas. We're just going to write it in that way, which is a very common, uh, you know, a, a very common response for the purpose of uh, symmetry well, within the Pasuk. But in Akhrami, it didn't necessarily have to be written in, uh, it didn't necessarily have to be written in that way. Khershad Vikotan Pigiyasan Ra. Khershad Vikotan Pigiyasan Ra. If you encounter a Kherishat Vakutan, it ain't gonna work out to your benefit. Uh, deaf mute. Shaita, somebody doesn't have mental capacity, and a minor. Pigyosunra. Why? The Mishnah said. I'm gonna bring down a couple stories, but the Mishnah said, you know what's example? If you have a, a five year old kid and he walks into Shul right now, takes a rock and breaks the machitza. Does he need to pay for it? No. Do his parents need to pay for it? No. Does anybody need to pay for it? No. No, this comes up in shuls often. I said this in the, on when we were going through this on Shabbos. There's times where kids break things in shul, and people come over and like, "We got to tell the parents that we're going to send them a bill for the window." Like, Whoa, where does that come from? What gives you a right to send the parents a bill? Because a kid, that's part of a shul. Kids come to shul and they break things. You want to ask the parent, or a parent offers to pay for it, give out. A parent has no halachic responsibility to pay for damage a kid does. Piggy yasan ra. That's a risk that you take when you deal with kids. The Mishnah says. If you hurt them, you have to pay. If they hurt you, they don't need to pay. Piggy yasan ra. You're going to work. It's gonna, you're going to come out to the disadvantage. Listen to this. Says the Gemara. Imi dirav shmo barabom eangoria. Havin The mother of shmo barabo was married to Rababo. And she wrote over everything that she had to her son. Okay. So this was her second marriage. And she's coming into the second marriage. And she's writing over that all the things that all her property she currently has, when she dies, should go to her son, not her husband. Basar Deshiva, after she died... 
Ozo Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, top of him. Ozo Shmuel Bar Abba, Kamid Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, Ukmed Benechse. Rav Shmuel Bar Abba came in front of Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, and Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba said that you get it. The husband gets the property, not the son. Okay? Why? The luck is when a woman dies, her husband inherits. Also, Rav Abba, Amra Mosaka made Rav So the son, the son, went and told over in front of Rav Aisha. Omar, also Rav I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Also, Rav Shmuel Bar Abba. The son came and claimed the property and they gave it to the son. So the husband now went. Also, Rav Abba, Amra Mosaka made Rav So Rav Abba, the husband went, the second husband, when he, uh, he he went to Ravashia and uh, he wants some, he's disagreeing over here, right? He wants the property. Also, Ravashia, Amr Kamedra of Yehuda, and Ravashia went and told it over in front of Yehuda. Amr later, Yehuda said, Hachi Amr Shmo, Isha Shemacha Benechsim Belug Bechai Balu, Mesa Habal Maitzi Miyad Lakuchais. If a woman comes into property with Nechsim Belug, pre existing owned property, property, and she sells it, upon her death, that Nechsim Belug, Goes back to her husband, and therefore the second husband has could, could take the property away from his stepson. So they told over this psak to Ravir Baraba. Again, Ravir Baraba gave it to the son. Now Ravi Yehuda is saying that the husband gets it. So they told Ravir Baraba that Ravi Yehuda disagrees with him. The son doesn't get it. He says, Listen, I know Ravi is arguing on me, but guess what? I have a mission of backing me up. Ditnan, because we learned in a Mishnah, if somebody writes over property for his sons and he says, This is going to be yours after I die. Okay? After I die. The son does not currently own it because it's in the father's domain. A father's not, not allowed to sell the property because they're given over to the son. Okay? So the father now has limited use. Machar ha'av, if the father sells the property, which he already wrote over to his son after he dies, now he sells it, so now what's going to be after he dies? Mechurin ad sheyamas. The is, the buyer has ownership only until death. Because you gave it over to your son upon death. So whoever you sold it to has rights to use it until death. Machar habain, what happens if the son sells uh, sells the property. So does the son own it yet? No, because the father's still alive. So the father writes a contract that upon death, this property is going to my son. He had eight kids. So he wants it to go to Beryl. Beryl knows this property is coming to him. But could he sell it now? Says the, says the Mishnah, So the guy who gave him money does not own it until the father dies. Once the fa- upon death, now it's yours. Interesting. It's not that the wholesale is not valid. It's valid. It's a valid agreement, but it's just not yours until the father dies. Now, kimayis av mia. But when the father dies, the buyer does get it. Now this seems to imply like this. Listen to this. What happens if the son dies first? So let's talk about Jewish names. Yaakov is the father, Reuven's the son. Ya- and he's got 12 sons. Yeah, Yaakov has 12 sons. He wants Reuven to own, he writes a document, Reuven's going to get the property in Ladu. 
Okay. Reuven goes and sells it to somebody else. Call him buyer. Reuven sells it to buyer. Does buyer own it? Says the Mishnah, when Yaakov dies, buyer owns it. Says the Gemara, this seems to imply that even if Reuven were to predecease Yaakov, let's say Reuven dies first, and then Yaakov dies, still it seems that the buyer gets it. Even though it never came into Reuven's hand. Because the Mishnah just says, the buyer gets it upon the father's death. It seems whether or not Reuven's alive. It never came into the, into the uh, property of the son, Kirav Shem ben Lakish, the Amar, Rish Lakish says, In this story, there's no difference whether the son predeceased the father, where the son never, it ended, ends up never coming into this possession. It doesn't make a difference if the father dies first. Buyer gets it. The Yitmar, because we learned, Machar what happens if the son sells the property and then the son dies while the father's alive? Either way, the buyer gets it. Now, Rabbi Yechonon argued on this. Rabbi Yechonon says if the son predeceases the father, it's not a sale. Now, let's get into this machleka. Says the Gemara. Rabbi Yechonon, Omar Rabbi says that the buyer, buyer does not get it. Omar Lach, he's going to say, he says, where does the, you know, what we said in the Mishnah was, the buyer gets it. When the father dies, the buyer gets it. Did it say specifically that, the, that the, the son was still alive? No. So you could assume, even though it didn't say it specifically, but you could assume that, that uh, it's, uh, he, you, you, you could assume that that's what it means. It means when the father's there. When the father's there, that's when you get it. But if the father did die, then the buyer gets it. But if the son did not die in the father's lifetime, so then the property that was sold already came into the possession of the son. Then the buyer gets it, says Rabbi Yechonon. Blessed the son were to predecease, ben he never got possession. So then, when the father dies, the buyer shouldn't get it at all, because this is what we would have thought: you can't sell something that's not yours. Think about a normal case. By the way, you know what? Let's just read one more line. When it's sold, he's not selling that which is his. This touches on, not completely, but you could open up a conversation and say, you know, why isn't this a general thing that goes on with children? A general thing that goes on with inheritance. What happens if you have a kid? You have a kid. The father is 42 years old. The kid is 15. Could children start selling futures the people. Says, oh, my dad's 42. I'm 15. I grace a businessman now. I know my dad has properties all over the place. Let me tell you something. Listen, I got four siblings. Yeah, the investments are going well. I'll tell you what, I'll say whatever portion comes to me upon my father's death whenever that happens, years down the road, like a life insurance policy, whatever it is, right? So down the road, you, you'll get it. Can you start... Or is it like, what are you doing? It's not yours. Why is that? Huh? Right? It's not yours. 
Over here also. Over here also. Is it loy balaylam or not? So over here, it's a little different. So over here, the reason why there's no conversation over there, and it's not a valid sale. You can't sell something that's loy balaylam. Children can't start selling potential properties. Over here, the father wrote over the property to the son. There's a contract written up over here. There's ownership that's been directly, it's like a gift that's been directly given. So now the son already, to an extent, has a legal right to this property. It's not just coming to him as a, as a potential inheritance. The father really has no right to sell the land now. Once the father writes over a contract, he has no, the father has limitations on the land because he wrote over. As opposed to regular inheritance, the father, you know, and, and any parent, unfortunately there are, there are nebuch families I've personally been involved in where I, I personally think it's mental illness. Apparently, uh, it's not uncommon, though. I, there's one specific thing I was... Uh, one specific incident is coming to my mind, and another one that took place during Shiva, after the father's death. Mom is during Shiva, the family was already fighting um, while they're sitting there. But uh, there's, there's another case where there, there are children who at times get upset at their elderly parents' uh, uh, financial decisions. They think, like, that whatever my, my parent has is already mine. Yeah, like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, and Shlomo Melech already talks to us about in Kahelis about all this. He says the whole thing is 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 uh, it's ridiculous. The whole thing, the whole thing is uh, right for for it's, it's ridiculous what goes on and and the way people save up and the way give over. But, but their children they get upset and they try to create different uh, legal limitations around money that the parents earned on their own charities that the parents want to give. Gifts the parents want to give. Children like feel like, what do you mean? It's, uh, I'm going to get that money in 15 years. So uh, it's like it's ready. My, what are you talking about? No such thing. If there's a contract where it's ready to give it over to you, so now we can have the conversation. That's why I'm just bringing this up. To notice, not to confuse this with a standard case of inheritance. By standard case of inheritance, the child's not selling. It. You, you, it's not yours. Just because you know your dad's going to pass away in 70 years. doesn't make anything yours. But if it's given over to you as a contract, then it's going to be there upon death. So now, we're, now we can have this conversation. Let's keep going. I'm sorry. We've got to cover ground over here. Rav Shimon Lakesh, Rav Shimon Lakesh says, He says, the Lakeach, Mr. Buyer, does own it when the father dies. Why? When the Mishnah said that the buyer does not own it until the father dies, this means whenever the father does die, he does own it. Whether or not the father's here, whether or not the son predeceased him. Doesn't make a difference whether it ever came into possession of the son. Either way, says Reish Lakish, the Mishnah seems to imply kind of like Mr. Buyer has it. Alma, you see from here that what does Reish Lakish hold? Kasavar, he holds. Kinyan Paris, Lavkin, Guftami. Ownership over the fruits is not give you ownership over the property. So when the son sold it to him, he was selling something that is he was selling something which is mamish his. And right now, what we're gonna we're going to follow, what we're gonna assume is that all both of these opinions are following Reish Lakish, who holds that. If a father gives writes something over to his son that his son's going to get it upon death, and then the son sells it to buyer, even if the son predeceases buyer, the buyer will get it. Okay, so now we're under the assumption that everybody's going to agree with Reish Lakish. Let's go back. Let's go back to our story. Let's go back to our story. Remember what was the story? 
Story was the woman got married and she wanted to write over to her son. And one, remember, Rabbi says it goes to the son. And, uh, and uh, who was it? Rabbi? Said it went to, uh, that it goes to the husband. You have, you have no right to, to give it over, right? Said you have no right to give it over. So that was um, Ravishia, or Rav Yehuda, sorry. Yeah, that, that was the opinion of Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda said that the, that the husband gets it. Says the Gemara. If you're going to say that they have rights over the fruits of the field is considered ownership over the field. If the father dies, but the son had predeceased him, why does buyer get it? When the son sold Lavdi and he was selling something that was the father's. You can't sell somebody else's property. If, again, if you say that produce is not yours when you don't yet own the essence of the land. You see from here, Kenyan Paris is not considered Kenyan Haguf. It's not considered like you own the actual thing. Um, the son, since the husband, even though it, even though it was originally written, written over to him as Nechsein Balug, the fact that she gave it to the son, the son is considered Mr. Buyer, and therefore the son gets it and not the husband. Uh, so they came back and they told this logic in front of Rabbi Yehuda. Again, Rabbi Yehuda said that the husband should get it. So now they're coming with a good mission, a good logic to say the son should get it. Amar lahu, and he says, no, hochi amar shmuel, zu mishnaseinu. Your whole, your whole uh, chachmas is not similar to, to our mission. My time, why are you making a mistake over here? No, he says, no, the husband does get it. Why? Amr Abbasif explains, Bishlama, it's understandable, if the Mishnah would have said the opposite, which is, if a son writes his property over to his father. Okay? Let's say a son tells to a son says to a father, even though this is not Tava, this is not nature, but let's say you have a son who's deathly ill. He's very ill. So he wants possessions to go, he wants possessions to go to, uh, to uh, his father. From today until after death. So the father's going to own rights to the produce, but not own the actual land. We learn now from here that owning the peris, which the father now has rights to the produce, is not like owning the, the uh, actual thing. Ella, rather, but now that we gave a case, instead of the son writing over to the father, the father's writing over to the son, who will say it's because there's already something in place that allows him to be fit to, uh, to inherit. And the fact that the son is fit to inherit is going to allow the, the uh, rights to already be more tangible, which means like this. Let's talk for a minute. When a son dies, does a father naturally inherit the son? No. Let's say you have a grandfather, father, and son. Three generations. The middle generation passes away. The children inherit before the father. We'll call it... Father, grandfather, grandfather, father, and son. Right. So you have Yaakov, Yosef, and Ephraim. If Yosef passes away first, before Yaakov, who's going to inherit Yosef? Ephraim. The son naturally inherits, even though you already have, you still have a father that's alive, the son is the one who, who inherits, but not, not the father. However, if a father passes away, the sons naturally 
inherit. So the Gemara here wants to say that perhaps when it comes to a father and son, and the son selling the produce of the land until the father dies, maybe there you actually have a strong kayak because al pi alacha. When a father dies, what naturally happens, you do get a chilek in ownership. As opposed to when a son writes it over to a father, a father's not a natural inheritor, and therefore there's less of a strength within his rights to do anything if the son has not yet died. You don't have Hilchus, uh, Hilchus Yerusha working along with you. Amalei Abaye, Abaye says, Atu bra yaris abba, abba la yaris bra. He says, one second, but there are times that, if somebody, that a father inherits a son. For example, when? If the son has no kids. If a son has no kids, the father is an inheritor of his own son's estate. So you do find natural inheritance in that direction, uh, in that direction as well. So we could say in our case as well, that the father is coming to keep the estate away from... The, uh, from the other sons. So a father has a bunch of sons and he wants a specific field to go to Ruvain. So he writes it over to Ruvain. He says, Ruvain, from today until, you know, from, from the time I die, it's already yours uh, from today. So uh, he's, he's, giving him, he's giving him unique rights to sell it. And, but Lamaisa, it's not valid. And therefore, there's no proof that just because you own, you have rights to the produce, it doesn't necessarily give you ownership over the, uh, over the actual field. Go ahead. Father writes his will. Uh, don't, don't use the word will. The father makes a contract. Father makes a contract. Yeah. He says, Reuben, the time, time, at the time that I die, you inherit this field. From now. From now. Yeah. What does that mean from now? From now means, see, the father wants it to work retroactively. I'll tell you why. You can't gift something after death in halacha. Once the father dies, halacha naturally kicks in, which means the children get the estate. So therefore, what a father wants to do, and this is what people do practically, uh, not in this exact same circumstance, but people write uh, a, a living will that basically the, this is gifted to, let's say, uh, you know, in halacha, only the sons, in the Torah, only sons inherit, not the daughters. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of very important reasons for this. But nowadays, I wouldn't recommend such a thing. Again, depending on the circumstances, I wouldn't recommend. My parents didn't make a difference between boys and girls. Everything was divided amongst the children. I've said many times, my father, though, wanted to keep the uh, halacha of the Torah of Yerusha, that the Bechar gets Pishnayim, gets double portion. So he, well, when my father passed away, he said that the Bechar, my oldest brother Shmuel, my oldest brother Shmuley, should get double portion of the Sfar. My father had bookcases of Sfar, so all the children inherited his Sfar upon his death. Now none of us took it, because my mother was still around, and it's not nice to start emptying out the house from all my father's Sfar when my mother's living there. So we waited for my mother, we weren't waiting for my mother to pass away. I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> but after my mother passed away, that's when we, we took the farm. But Shmuley had first dibs and double portion. The Bukhar gets, gets Pishnayim. But as far as the, the finances and the items within what we'll call the estate, that was all divided equally. Now, that has to be done, written up, that the children get it before death. 
she could put in the document that a moment before I die, everything is gifted equally to all of my children. Otherwise, the boys already inherited it. Who gives, what gives right to the girls? There's a lot of parameters around this. You could say there's exceptions, fine. Suffice it to say, what happened was the following. Yaakov wanted Ruvain to own this field. What he said was, Ruvain, upon my death, it's going to be yours from today. So you can't have access to it until I die. But from the moment I die, you've already owned it for the past two years. The, the, uh, what, right, he didn't want the field to go into the pool. This son, you know, and, and there's times, again, you know, even though I'm saying that you recommend children get, e- get equally, um, there are times where parents do need to take into account that, um, that there are children that have more needs than others. And you should, you should uh, be sensitive, sensitive to that. Sometimes you have some children, they don't have the same financial capabilities or, or needs as others. And those children uh, should get more. Now, if it's going to cause machlekas in the family, which there's actually one specific situation. I was, I was thinking, speaking to a, a family recently in Shul, you know, going, through their, uh, going through their will. And they do have, they're in a situation like this where they do feel that their children are going to have different needs. Some are in working and they, they're already set up. Others are in Klai Kaidesh and it's going to be harder to make Simchas. So I said, uh, candidly, what I recommend, it's not a picture perfect situation, but I, I highly recommend doing is that if you're capable now already to start making separate funds, whether it's a trust fund, I don't, I'm not a lawyer to know what to name it. Um, that is already pre-given, so it's not part of the estate, and the other siblings don't even necessarily need to know about it. It's a pre-existing gift. You know that this family is going to need help with simchis, you know, down the road. So you give it to them already now. You don't need it right now. So give it. Let, let it already sit under their name, and this way, it's not part of the general pool, and nobody, none of the other children, uh, are going to feel bad that this one got more than the other. But you're making sure your children take care of the same way. If you'd be alive. You'd give them the money, so you know. Then salamai nafkamina. Again, you got to use your seichel. You got to use your, you got to use your uh, uh, your, your chachmas in uh, in this area. But be it as it may, we're back to square one. And what back to square one is, is we have to figure out when when Shmuel said that when the wife sells her property or giving over her property to the son without giving it to her husband, that's not similar to the case of our Mishnah. Um, we want to know. We want to know why. Let's do one more step, and we'll hold it here for today. Says Gemara Elamai. Rather, What does it mean that it's not similar to our Mishnah? Mishum Takanas Usha, because of Takanas Usha. Okay, what was the Takanas Usha? In Usha, they made ten decrees for the uh, for the stability of Klal Yisrael. One of the decrees they made. In the uh, in the city of Usha, and Usha, uh, after the Sanhedrin was kicked out of the base Hamikdash, they went to Usha, and this was really the beginning of Gullus, and they had to make enactments uh, that were different from the way that things were when things were working in the base Hamikdash. So they made a decree: Ha'isha shemachra b'nichsei melug b'chay balu mesa. If a woman sells nichsei melug while her husband's alive and she dies, habal mitzimi out of the kuches, the husband has a right. To take it from the hand of the lekuches. This was a special decree, giving the husband a special lekuches from a from a buyer. So usually, halachically, the buyer should get it. 
a woman wrote, the buyer gets it. But it was a Takanas Usha that it was a decree made in Usha that this is not a normal circumstance and the children in, uh, and the husband in this case could take it back. We'll hold it here for today. Vezhan tomorrow we'll begin with an explanation as to why. Why was it necessary to, uh, why was it necessary to make this, uh, uh, this decree? And we're also, Bezhan on tomorrow's daf, we're going to get more into other decrees that were enacted in Usha. We'll hold it here for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.